0: To me, body positivity has always meant you are okay today, exactly as you are, that nothing about you needs to change, and that when you are able to find acceptance through that mental space, Mm -hmm. that there's a way to really live into yourself, really do everything you've ever wanted to do, because you're accepting yourself.
1: I'm Leila Saad, and my life is driven by one burning question. How can I become a good ancestor? How can I create a legacy of healing and liberation for those who are here in this lifetime and those who will come after I'm gone? In my pursuit to answer this question, I'm interviewing changemakers and culture shapers who are also exploring that question for themselves in the way that they live and lead their life. It's my intention that these conversations will help you find your own answers to that question too. Welcome to Good Ancestor Podcast. Jessamine Stanley is an award-winning yoga instructor, author of Everybody Yoga, and founder of The Underbelly, a virtual yoga studio available internationally by web, iOS, and Android. Regarded as a leading voice on intersectional identity in 21st century yoga, Jessamine has won many awards for her social influence and unique approach to wellness. With an articulate message of representation and visibility, Jessamine also speaks across the country, advocating for body acceptance, female empowerment, as well as African-American and LGBTQ inclusion. Jessamine has been featured in many media outlets, including The New York Times, Good Morning America, Teen Vogue. Cosmopolitan, Marie Claire, Allure, BuzzFeed, Shape, Out Magazine, New York Magazine, The Guardian, and Forbes. She broke boundaries for plus-size bodies with her 2019 cover of Yoga Journal. In early 2020, Jessamine was featured in Adidas's Reimagined Sport campaign, challenging old stereotypes and celebrating movement of all kinds. Hi everybody and welcome back to Good Ancestor Podcast. I am here with this amazing human being today, Jessamine Stanley. Jessamine, welcome to Good Ancestor Podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Leila. I'm happy to be here with you, truly.
1: I'm very excited for you to be here, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But I, I want to open with our, our first question that I ask every single guest. Who are some of the ancestors living or transitioned? familial or societal, who have influenced you on your journey?
0: There are a lot of people who I carry with me every single day Mm -hmm. and to the point where I think that some of them just, it's hard to even like put words to it because I don't see myself outside of them. But when you ask that, all I can think about are my grandparents. And the thing is like. I was very close to my maternal grandmother before she passed. And I think about her every day. I look at her picture every day. I feel very much like I see her in everything that I do more and more every day. And I feel so grateful for the time that we spent together, but also just the legacy that she she's just a a person who loves so big and Mm. who is accepting of so much and who it's hard to even use the past tense in talking about her because she's so important to me. And then I think about my paternal grandfather, who I never met. My father never met. He was, it's hard to, strange to talk about this. Um, He was killed before my father was born. And I think of him as the first person in our family to go to college. He was a freshman at a HBCU in South Carolina. And we don't know the details of his passing. I mean, it was the 60s in the South, so you can assume what happened. But I think about him often because especially now, because when I was growing up, my father never talked about him. He didn't he had no context for him. And I don't know if that was him trying to protect himself or mm-hmm. trying I'm not sure, but The more I think about it, the more I think like, wow, what a dynamic life. It was brief on this planet, but it goes on so much longer. And what an incredible lineage he created in such a short period of time. Mm. And I just, I think about these people who are the reason that my family is even here and who they never sought praise or recognition or um, to really be seen outside of their communities. And the fact that that is enough, will always be enough, was enough is deeply helpful for me. It allows me the space to just try to figure out what it means to just be. And um, yeah, so anyway, those are the many, many ancestors. And really, I'm just the current iteration of so many, but definitely those two people are weighing heavy on me
1: these days. Thank you for asking. Thank you for your beautiful and vulnerable and truthful answer. And I see, especially as you were talking about your paternal grandfather and how, like you said, it was a short life, but it was a deeply lived life Mm -hmm. and the legacy of that for you, you know, I have been following your work for a while and Before I, like, fangirl over you, I will say that I have watched a number of of your interviews and listened to a number of your interviews, and something that I observed about you is that you feel very uncomfortable when someone is praising you.
0: (laughs) Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. But you know what? I don't (laughs) Um, I do think that this is, it's shame. One time I caught myself cringing in hearing about myself and I was just like, wow, look at that shape. Like, where is that coming from? You can't even hear somebody t- say just I get, you, 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 you know. really right. I've seen you really <laughs> dis- deflected.
1: And I get, I mean, you've talked about how you want to make sure that you stay grounded, right? And I get yes. that. And you're somebody who has a very large platform, is seen as this global yoga leader, and also a lot of people are projecting a lot of things onto you, right? From wherever their social identities lie, or either the the savior, the mommy, the the token, that all of these different things. So I get it. And I just genuinely want to share with you that when this global pandemic started, I was a hot mess. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was real. a mess. I had just come back of, off of two international book tours. And
0: mm-hmm. right.
1: No, right. So I come back. I'm like, I'm going to rest for a week. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to go to the library, to the museum. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to do all these things. And within just a few days of me being back, everything started shutting down. And then within a week, my kids were now studying from home. So every plan that I had got thrown out of the window. I wasn't ready for it. I was planning to go for a massage in the spa and all of these things didn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it was a mess. And I just came across on Instagram that you had this app, the Underbelly Yoga app, which I didn't realize you had. And I was like, I think I need this. And so I, I downloaded it, signed up for the subscription, started doing your yoga classes, And they became such an anchor for me. I was not practicing any sort of yoga consistently. It wasn't the first time I've done yoga. I've done yoga Mm -hmm. on and off throughout the years, but not like this. Mm -hmm. And there were so many aspects of it for me that just, I felt like this was yoga for me and not for somebody else. Yes. Right? I so appreciated how you were so human. (laughs) Which sounds so odd, right? It's like, (laughs) it's just just,
0: there's so much in this world of yoga that is not real. So, so that is
1: going on, and I've done yoga in classes, I've done yoga on YouTube, but it wasn't like this. I really appreciated the way that you, you know, would say you can modify it this way if your body's like this, or and I was like, I thought I had to just force myself. Mm-hmm, to force mm-hmm. my body into those shapes and that the practice of yoga was just getting over time my body to perform as if I am a thin white woman.
0: Right. right. <laughs> oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> and, I
0: so deeply yeah. identify with that then,
1: I want to say thank you because had it not been for that daily morning routine and that coming to the mat you used the language in one of the videos about, you know, you're building yourself this life raft. You're going to ride through the day. And I was like, that's literally what this is. So thank you so, so much because it made things easier for me, which made things easier for my kids, made things easier for my husband. And that's real. And that is also
0: like the only reason ultimately to practice. Wow. Can I just, I have so much to say in response to this. Mostly that I just feel so grateful that, We are able to connect with one another this way in an era where like there is so much noise and so much chaos and and just so much unbridled fear. And over time, I'm getting better about it, but I've had a lot of conflicting feelings about putting my practice out into the world about the way that it is experienced by others. And then even in teaching yoga, in this this premise of teaching yoga, which really, yeah. there's no teaching of it. It's always just, you're just practicing. I'm just practicing. And we just happen to be near each other. <laughs> and you are always being led to this teacher that's inside of you. And I'm just seeking out the teacher inside of me. Yeah. I'm always very hesitant about this idea of like, I'm going to teach someone something. I'm like, I'm not teaching. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. I'm, I'm literally just showing up for, for my own practice and we'll see how things go. And yeah. and I just, more than anything, I'm just so glad that it resonates. I'm glad yeah. that you're like, yes, I see myself in this. Yes, this practice can help me. Like that to me feels like, I mean, talk about good ancestor. It's like, that's the whole reason to do it. Yeah. Like just, so that someone can find, a sense of calm that you can maneuver and change depending on what's going on in your life and where you are. And and because life is always complicated. One thing about this pandemic is that it's like the first time that all human beings on this planet are on the same page about how crazy things are. It's like, there's been a lot of, almost like a classism to the experience of pain and and chaos. We're finally in this age of like, okay, it's crazy here. Everything's wild. Like, and in that regard, I'm grateful for the honesty and authenticity that that allows for, that people are just like, wow, I feel crazy. I don't have anything. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to anchor myself and it's like that's how life always is. Yeah. It's just just changing more and more every day. And and I'm, I mean, more than anything, I'm just glad that we can talk about
1: it. Which we can all play it together and it's okay. I, I love that you say that because after a few days of of using the the app and going through some of the practices, something that I said to a friend was Oh, I needed this before the pandemic. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's so real. It's like, oh, this has been happening for a while. Actually, that's so
0: real. It's like, yeah. but you know, it takes something jarring, yeah, really sick. And I mean, I think, I mean, everyone that I know who is really like practices yoga every day and has for a long time. It's because of, it's a medicine for them. Like that's there's right. something that happened. They were in a car accident. They deal with severe depression. They deal yeah. with alcoholism. Like somebody close to them passed away. Something has happened to yeah. jar them into recognizing that the only constant in life is chaos. What is, um? is it Octavia Butler, mm-hmm. uh, goddess change? Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing that we can expect. And
1: if we can just expect the waves, then you can ride the waves. It's fun. We're on the ocean together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the other things that I really took from your classes that I haven't got before in other classes. I think in other classes, it's really just been about the asana itself and not Mm. how it relates to my experience in my life right now. What I was really learning as you're you know, moving us into these different positions, but you're also talking us through it, was there is no end. There's no peak that we're trying to get to. There's no happy place that we're trying to achieve. It's really being in whatever is arising right now in this moment. And that was something very, very different for me. I began to see how yoga as a practice, especially for those who are really deep in the practice, why you would be attracted to the practice, because it's not just A fitness thing. It's not just the asana, it's how do you relate to your life? How do you understand your life? You've talked about in your own experiences, you know, I know you started, you had your first yoga class when you were in high school and hated it because it was this awful Bikram (laughs) yoga class. You were not ready for it. You know, not not good. Worse, right? But you came back to it in college. And I think it sounds like, I mean, you could talk us through it a little bit, but what was it Mm -hmm. at that time in your life that really was calling for yoga as a practice?
0: You know, what's funny is that the first yoga class that I ever took was the exact same type of yoga that I ultimately went back to. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about the Bikram sequence is that, I always call it like the McDonald's of yoga because it is literally the same everywhere that you go no matter where you are in the world. It's the same sequence, the room is always hot. So like <laughs> I, I I can't overemphasize that like I had this identical experience that I was just in a completely different mental space to receive in two different times. So the first time I was very focused on the aesthetics of it, that like, it's very hot in here. All of these postures seem impossible. I can't quote do any of them. I don't see my body going into these shapes. I must not be able to do it. Then cut to some years later, I was in graduate school and I was going through something that I think is really just something that happens to all human beings. Like if you've been on a path for a certain period of time, a path that is deep outside of yourself, you know, it has it's career driven, especially if it's about the accumulation of power or wealth or money. Mm. And I came to this realization of like, this is not who I am. I don't know what I am or who I am, but this is not it. And I don't feel any spiritual connection to this. And I mean, there were other things that were happening too. Like I was in a graduate program that did not fit with who I was. I was in a relationship that was ending. I was, there are just a lot of different things happening. And one of my friends, she was really into Bikram yoga at the time. And she was just like, oh my God, you should go. It's just going to make everything better. It's going to change your life. And I just could not get my mind around that idea at all. Because I mean, what I did know about yoga was very much about the physical performance of it and very much like definitely, this is something that thin white women do. It's not something that is for really for everybody. And when I went and I went back and everything was exactly the same. It was still hot. It was still hard. And and now I had this whole other factor that I really don't think I had fully comprehended in the past, but I had this idea of like, I'm a fat person. I'm the only black person in the room. Am I really supposed to be in this space? Hmm. And what I didn't realize I was, truly hungry for was just being able to let myself be like exactly as I am not making any explanation for it or trying to explain it away that I was able to just be there because what would end up happening is that the postures seemed impossible to me like I would try to go into one of the first couple of postures in the sequence and it would just be like I can't do this I'd look at the other people around me and be like right. what's going on I they don't look like they practiced this together. Right. And I'm not able to keep up at all. Yeah. And I would look at myself in the mirror and be from they have these huge mirrors in the front. So I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I would just be like, okay, maybe it's okay. Maybe how you're able to do this is plenty. Maybe that's perfect. Maybe you don't have to try to like, compare yourself against everyone else in here. Maybe you can just be here for yourself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe you fall over. Maybe everyone sees the teacher's going to know that you don't know what you're doing and maybe that's okay. And it's not even so much about the experience of that in that posture, in that moment, on the mat, in that class. It was, what other parts of my life am I feeling this in? And I'm just not holding on to it in that way. What other parts of my life am I telling myself I'm not good enough? I can't do this. Why even try that? I'd see these boundaries in my life and never question them. And I wondered like how long have these boundaries been in place? When did I make these huge decisions about who I am as a human being and what I deserve? And it just turned into this whole other deeply spiritual and philosophical conversation that I didn't pay to go to yoga class for. I certainly didn't go into <laughs> yoga thinking, like, yeah, I'd like to have an existential breakthrough today. No, right. it was like, maybe I'll get some strength training. Maybe I'll become a little bit more flexible. That's why I always think that, like, it doesn't really matter why you show up to yoga. <laughs> it doesn't matter, like, if you show up for the postures or if you show up for the leggings or coconut water or whatever it is that you think is important. Ultimately, the truth is always the truth, and you'll always be led to. To that point, even if you start from a place of being solely obsessed with the physicality of it because it unlocked so much that I was not even open to when I went there like I, I didn't go to yoga looking for therapy. the therapy found me
1: wow and would you say that, that is, because I'm really fascinated about what you just said, that it doesn't matter what your actual motivations are for why you come into yoga, the yoga will give you <laughs> the breakthrough or whatever it will. Is that the very nature of it? Yes. Yeah. I, I think that ultimately it doesn't matter what lineage or...
0: Where on the planet you're practicing it, it doesn't matter what time of day, how many physical postures, that ultimately every posture is the same because Mm. it's just as complicated to bring your body into the posture. The hardest posture really is to just lay on the ground and not anticipate. the need to have goals and to look to the future and and be obsessed with what's already happened and what's happening in the future, that is so, in and of itself, so limiting that the idea of just trying to find the present moment in the what we would deem to be the most simple of physical postures is actually the most difficult. So that it really doesn't matter. Like, you can come to it and be like, like, yes, I'm going to do handstands, you know, I'm going to crawl up walls, and I'm right. going to contort my spine this way, I'm like, whatever, you know, like, it's, it's all fine, because ultimately, like, you're just trying to get your body tired enough so that it can just be still, right. It doesn't really like, the complexities of the postures are just to figure out new and more creative ways to breathe, that's why I'm on the underbelly, I start, the first track is called the air track, because it's, like, just focus on breathing. You're going to eventually forget to breathe and you're going to be like, so focused on trying to build into these other postures, but just start with trying to breathe because that's the only place you're ever going.
1: And all roads lead to the same distance. Right. So I found that the breath part was actually really, has been challenging for me over the years, you know, that I find that I breathe like very much from here, not deep down from inside of myself, that Racing mine. I'm supposed to get to the next thing. And okay, now I'm settled. Now we're going to start moving into these different asanas. And now I, I oh, I'm holding my breath. I'm holding my breath. (laughs) 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 And it's like, and there's so
0: much anxiety that comes from not breathing as someone who's prone to anxiety. Like the first thing that I do when I'm really getting into it is I, I'm not breathing anymore. (laughs) Like I don't need to breathe because I'm in my head. And that's always what you're told in those moments. It's like, just breathe. Breathe, Just try to find a way to breathe. And like that practice because it's the first thing that we learn coming out of the womb is just breathe. It's literally like, okay, you used to live in fluid and now you need to learn to breathe this substance that keeps us alive and that's all we're ever doing from that moment forward is just trying to breathe. But it's so it gets harder because there's so many different things that happen to us in life to inhibit the breath and and fear is real and anxiety is real but it's also it's the only place. It's all that really matters.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for really helping me to to understand that. So I started following you like many people did because you were posting a lot of your practice online. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely one of those people that was like, oh, a black person doing yoga, (laughs) a fat black person doing yoga. Yeah. Right. And because of the images that are projected to us all the time from the yoga world and ideas in diet culture, right? That tell us that what fitness looks like is this. And if you look like mm. a certain way, then you're not fit. And so when I saw your, your posts, it kind of blew my mind. I was like, she, that means she's hella strong if she can do that. <laughs> like, that like, she must have a really no. strong core.
0: Yeah, I mean you know, it's
1: different to lift
0: a couple hundred pounds than to lift
1: a <laughs> hundred pounds. Yeah. But, it's, but it wasn't it wasn't so much your weight, it was that you can <laughs> move into these positions that I'm like, I know if I just go into that position, my belly can't hold me, my arms mm-hmm. start shaking. She's just going into it like it. So first of all, that means diet culture, fitness culture is a bunch of crap because mm-hmm. it says that you can only do those things if you look a certain way right? And here's this person just completely defying that, right? <laughs> and helping me yeah. to see like, oh, I don't have to get thin in order to do that. Like yeah. I can do that from the body that I have because body positivity and the, you know, all of that is a movement. We can talk about where you are with that. But in those early days, no, it wasn't, it, w- it wasn't a thing, Right. It wasn't what the norm was. And I I think, and I'm guessing that because of that, you probably had a lot of people exoticizing or fetishizing or holding you up as this rare exception. Look, she's a fat black person, but she's able to do this. And you're just yeah. doing it as your practice, but this is how everyone else is. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is so strange to how, how is that? out there. Tell me yeah. how that experience was for you, especially in those early days. And what things did you have to yeah. learn over time in order to kind of like have really good boundaries for yourself so you didn't get defined by other people's projections of you? Mm, This is an amazing question. Thank you so much for asking this. I feel like I've never
0: asked things (laughs) like this. Okay, well, I think it's important to note that when I first started posting on social media, particularly on Instagram, it was before Instagram was popular. So it was like back when it was mostly just college students. And then of the people who were on there, there was a very small community of yoga practitioners. And I had just started practicing yoga at home. And Mm. one of the reasons that people don't practice yoga at home is because it's really isolating and it can be very much like, you're like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I was practicing yoga at home, largely because I could not afford to practice yoga in studios. Mm. And so I had this feeling of like, am I doing this right? Like, should I be doing this without a teacher? And so I would take these obsessive photos of myself just so that I could check my alignment. And I would like look up resources online and, and look at my practice right next to all of these photos, trying to figure out like, okay,
1: is this how my knee should be? Should I have my arm this way, et cetera.
0: And so it took a
1: long time. Oh, please. Can I just ask you a question there? The photos that you were comparing yourself to, did those bodies look like yours? No, not at
0: all. And to that point, very briefly, I just want to say that I was yeah. looking at the hashtag, my book, Everybody Yoga. I was looking at the hashtag for it, and I was just like looking at the diversity of bodies who are tagging themselves with this hashtag. And I was just like, this is not what it used to look like what on is- this app at all. Like, nobody, <laughs> it was like, there were nobody diversity. And I don't want to say that the make it seem like there were not people out here. Anna Guest Jelly, Diane Bondi, Amber Carnes, these people have been out here practicing yoga in curvy bodies for a long time. And they were hugely inspirational to me. Mm -hmm. But definitely when you looked at advanced asana, like looking at inversions, deep back bends and arm balances, there was no body diversity whatsoever. So which did help me to understand that the skeleton is ultimately like pretty universal that like if you can look at the way that the skeleton moves, it doesn't really matter how much body fat is on top of the bones. It's all kind of the same. So yeah. the bodies can just be like, Oh, okay. So this is generally the same thing, but it also led to me learning more about alignment and anatomy mm. and like, and deepening my practice in this whole other way, but definitely no diversity Taking these photos, feeling like I wanted to have a connection to a community outside of my house. And so I started posting the photos on Instagram, really just as a way to get feedback from other practitioners. And it took a while before. And I mean, I also I'm an Internet kid. I was on Tumblr and LiveJournal and all these things. And so I've been posting things online, not necessarily self-portraiture like this, but I've been posting online for a long time. So Mm -hmm. I was used to trolling to a certain degree. I was like, okay, so there's gonna be people, if I put pictures of myself wearing a sports bra and I'm fat, if I put this on the internet, there are going to be people being like, there's a whale on the beach or like whatever per thing somebody in my seventh grade class said. So I was like, okay. I can expect that. That's fine. But that means that there's yoga people out there and I can connect with them. But it took a while before I realized that aside from the substantial number of trolls and then the relatively smaller number of yoga people, there were so many people who were just like, wow, I didn't know that fat people could do yoga. Like, I really genuinely didn't realize this. And I was just like... Black people do all kinds of things all the right. time. Like right. really what we have is a visibility issue right. because I actually didn't think that there's anything all that revolutionary about what I was doing. Right. It just kind of felt like this is what my life looks like. And yeah, I see no representation of my life. The only curvy black people that I see prominently are like, Queen Latifah and Monique so I was like yeah I know that people don't know the lives of fat black women but this doesn't feel like an outlier to me right but I realized that for a lot of people it was an outlying experience and I saw I kept posting because I was like this is an opportunity to show just the way that someone else lives Mm. and i think that had it not been for that i would not have kept posting photos of myself Mm. because i really especially as time went on i started to feel like and i continue to feel that social media asks the opposite of what yoga asks of us social media is always asking us to look outside of ourselves that's right yoga is asking us to look inside of ourselves yeah and so there was a point A few years ago, where I was like, "I'm going to delete everything." Like, I felt no connection to it. Like, yes, I've successfully kept this journal, and that's the big benefit to me is I look back and I'm like, "Wow, I have this record of my practice." That's right. Yeah, so glad to have this. But there's a couple different camps that it falls into. So there's, I think, an overwhelming number of people who really are just happy to see another human being living authentically and unapologetically. So this, I think that's the largest number of people. But there's also a group of people who are like, it's like they're going to the circus or the zoo and they're like, wow, I love looking at this incredible act. This, wow, the amazing performance. Performance, right. hate herself. like right. And then it becomes this whole thing about, what is the line for seeing yourself as a menstrual show? Where is right. the point in which you say like this performance that you're enjoying has nothing to do with my humanity. That's right. So there's that thing. And then there's this other group of like, I think it's probably that then after that, it's just like trolls and hecklers and yeah. those who right. they come to the show to <laughs> throw popcorn. Right. So within that, I think, where am I? Where's jessamine So there's all of these ideas that have nothing to do with who I am. Who I am is not even jessamine Jessamyn is someone that my parents bore, <laughs> like a name that they put onto this person that, that they have tried to raise and that I've tried to live into. That's not even who I am. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to seek myself beneath this identity that I've been wearing from the moment that I got here, I really can't be that pressed about what somebody on the internet is going to say. About. <laughs> there Amen. has to be some separation there. Amen. And so that's always where the line is for me. And it's also led to me being a lot more selective over time about what I show other people and what feels like an appropriate expression of my practice. Because I used to post a lot of my personal practice, like just all the different pieces of like, I'm obsessively working on this posture, that posture. And over time, it's just kind of like, that's really personal. It's really That's private. It feels right. like something that, yeah, it just needs to be for me. But it also means that there are other parts of yoga practice that people, because there's this seemingly inextricable link between physical fitness and yoga, it's very hard for people to understand that yoga is everything and it's yeah. really that the moments when we're practicing yoga the most are like when we're fighting with our partners or trying to raise our children or trying to stand up in those difficult moments when we can't stand up, that that's really where the yoga comes into play. And it's made me feel like that's the most important yoga to share. If I can talk about the complicated parts of my identity where, because every intersection if my identity is where the yoga is really happening. And it's also the parts where it's going to be most difficult for people to engage with it. It's going to mean that people are going to be offended or going to feel like it's too close to the bone or it's not what they've decided that I'm allowed to do, which then for me just surfaces all of these isms that are hidden beneath the surface of why people are engaging with the content to begin with. That nice. it's like, you were here for a show and then the show didn't go the way that the you, way thought, it you
1: thought it was. Right. And now
0: you are dealing with that. And then to me, from that point, it's like, oh, so this is like performance art, actually. It's right. really just I am sharing this piece of myself that then allows someone a portal to understand themselves better. Right. And that doesn't mean that it's always going to be pleasant, but more than anything, it just means that I have to separate myself from whatever the perception is.
1: Right. Yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing that. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> it, no, it does. And it, the way that it answers my question is that it's not a simple answer and that mm-hmm. we continue to evolve how we relate to ourselves as we continue to grow as me, the individual, and me, the public figure, right, that everyone else sees and finding that harmony exactly. between understanding, like, I have to protect the very core of who I am. That has to be for me and I recognize that because of the journey that I've been on, a large group of people find inspiration or themselves reflected back or a perspective that they needed or something that leads them back to themselves, yeah. right? And so that's all true all at the same time. And it's, it's just the truth of it. But I want to dig deeper into what perhaps some of the ways in which you have faced people saying, well, that's not yoga. If you do that, that part of your life, that's not yoga. Or because you live your life in this way, that's not representative of yoga, of real yoga. What are some of the things that you've come up against? Yeah.
0: Oh, man, everything.
1: I mean, from the idea
0: that I'm fat, the idea that I am an omnivore, that I'm not a vegetarian or vegan, a lot of yoga practitioners Are very concerned with one of the guiding principles of yoga, which is nonviolence. And the way that it is frequently translated is nonviolence in not eating anything that in which you would be violent toward another living being. So, from the idea that I would understand nonviolence and still be an omnivore to the idea that. Cannabis and plant medicine, more generally, are an integral part of spiritual practice. There's a lot of racism and white, really it's like just purely white supremacist ideology that rests at the core of modern yoga. Mm. And as a result, the same racism and white supremacy that is embedded in cannabis prohibition is a part of that yogic ideology as well. So that a lot of people, when I talk about cannabis, when I talk about plant medicine, they are like, that's not yoga or this is offensive. And if I can speak even more specifically within the American yoga world, Mm -hmm. there's a feeling of like wanting to pretend happiness at people, like wanting to perform <laughs> the idea of calm. And it's a big it's thing. Really when, <laughs> as, as, as it's really passive aggressive. Passive aggressive. There's a lot of like white savior mentality yeah. that's in it. It's like we can all be happy if we just pretend it hard enough. Yeah. And my thought is that a huge part of my yogic truth is accepting every piece of my identity. And my identity is inherently political and very complicated. And in order to actually see and experience my whole self, I have to accept all of those complicated feelings. And anytime that I talk about something that could be, could make somebody feel uncomfortable, or more specifically, that could make someone have to deal with their whiteness. There's usually a good amount of pushback with that, so I'd say there's lots of ways in which I deal with like pushback on how I define practicing yoga, mm. and what I tend to get from that is that whoever is offering this pushback is well a they're dealing with their own practice this that's their practice that's in action their practice is, right that's them finding the balance and that what I can offer them is to not take it personally, that what they are, they're trying to figure out something within themselves. But then I guess more generally it's kind of clear to me that that person doesn't really know that much about yoga actually, even if they've been practicing for decades. And I think there's a lot of, pretending again that happens with practicing yoga where people are like well I go to this yoga studio and I own these yoga leggings so and I went on retreat to some other country that I don't live in so I guess that means that I'm a yoga that's yoga that that means I'm a yogi right right I'm always like yeah I don't know I wouldn't even call myself a yogi (laughs) I don't know I feel a lot of complicated emotions about that all I know is that we feel differently about it I just think it's so important that we all actually be having these conversations with one another. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with people disagreeing with how I experience the practice. I I think the only problem is if we can't just talk to one another about it because I think that the reason the social media exists and the reason that this global yoga community exists is so that we can experience collective healing Mm -hmm. and we can't experience collective healing if we're not all willing to express the ways in which we are hurt Mm -hmm. so I'm I'm here for it honestly I'm like come at me you don't like it that's great come through it's all it's all purpose what
1: I really appreciate is and I'm guessing this comes from your practice of yoga is your non-attachment to how people feel about you, which is really refreshing because like you said, like we live in this social media world, right? And we live in a world in which we're supposed to strive to become something other than what we are. And it's just really refreshing. You know, I'm sure that you, <laughs> you have your moments, like you're a human being. I right? was going to say. Yes. <laughs> like, we're not making Jessamine perfect here, right? <laughs> oh She's, she has her moments, okay? And I'm sure you have your initial, when it comes up, that initial like, er, right, that petty or whatever that oh, comes yeah. out, right? That is like, you want to mm. hit back, clap back, strike back, whatever. But it does sound like, you allow the space for that and you aim to be true to what yoga means for you.
0: Yeah. I mean, now I'm kind of getting to a place where like, like for a long time I felt like, Okay, just don't say anything at all. Don't say anything at all. And now I'm kind of getting to a place where, like, sometimes on the days when people try me and mm-hmm. they actually, they find my underbelly and they poke at it. And, and on the days when I'm like, you don't know me, you right. can go outside. You don't right. know where I'm from. You don't know what I can do. Then on those days, now I, like, have a laugh with it. I think it's funny, specifically on Twitter and only when I'm just like, you know what? This is funny. I'll like comment on someone who, like if someone is fat trolling me or fat shaming or whatever, I'll be like, wow, that's creative. I've never heard that one before. I've been fat in my whole life. You saying something I've never heard before. It's like, nice. so that, that something like that is funny to me. Mm. But beyond that, I'm always like, just don't, just try not to. <laughs> just because, and it's really, it's very deeply selfish. It's like, I know I mean I'm a double cancer I have a lot of feelings I'm just like everyone is having their own experience right and they're allowed to have that experience and you put yourself out there and that's why it's called vulnerability but there's something that that comes along with that and there's a price and ultimately it's worth it though you know like Another huge part of it for me is like like if you can't attach yourself, non-attachment, so non-attachment to the bad, but also non-attachment to the good. That's right. You can't can't have it
1: right. You can't have it one and not the other, right?
0: Yeah. Exactly. It's always that's the balance thing, is that it's like there's no way that I can find, I mean, because ultimately any feeling that someone would offer me is actually just something that they're feeling within themselves, for themselves. And It's beautiful that they're projecting out to me and that I can feel it, but I just can't. I need to find ways in which I can be enough for myself and be constantly refilling myself. And that that's the way that I can then, that if (laughs) I, if for some reason I'm like, yes, I need to affect others, then it can come from that place that I'm just, I'm refilling my own cup. And then that's how you can affect others.
1: Thank you. I I definitely have had to learn that about not attaching to the bad bad or good in the nature of my work. You know, I often get messages from people who have white privilege who are doing the me and white supremacy work and will sort of be like, oh my God, this work changed my life and da, 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 da. And, you know, you are this and you are that. And if I attach to that, then I also have to attach to when I get some BS message (laughs) that says you are the same. Come of the earth, you're nothing, right? Exactly. Like, I have to hold both. Exactly. So I'm like, I'm not going to hold either of them. That's your experience of me. And I have to literally, on my right. right? <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's the safest place to be, I, I feel, is right inside of yourself is the safest place to be. Yeah. It yeah. Is.
0: And we're not trained to do it, though. I mean, I think that this is something that capitalism doesn't really prefer (laughs) like because if you're constantly looking within yourself you're not looking to the advertisement to tell you you have to be happy so like it's not in the best interest of our society for everyone to be looking within themselves but it's always the answer at mystics from every part of the world say this exact same thing depending on just it's different ways for different people but it's always exactly the same thing
1: that's right yeah so Jessamine, I recently spoke with Nicole Cardoza, who's also a black mm. yoga practitioner and she's amazing. Our conversation was amazing. I loved it so much. And I said to her, we're going to have to talk about this yoga journal thing that happened to you. And <laughs> um, midway through the conversation, I was like, hold on, didn't this happen to Jessamine? Also, didn't something happen? She was like, yes. And I was like, wow, I'm speaking with her soon. So we got to have that conversation <laughs> as well. Oh, um, yeah. So as somebody who's not in the yoga world, you know, I'm aware of Yoga Journal as a Ooh. publication, heard of it, even seen it here in the supermarkets, right? In Qatar, like it's a global, it goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I remember seeing the image of your Yoga Journal cover, which was a beautiful cover. Just, I was like, oh, love it. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> and then very quickly... Hearing that, oh, but this isn't the cover that Yoga Journal chose to go with, and they didn't let Jessamine know that, and they put someone else on there who was white instead. Oh, that (laughs) is what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Well, basically, should I? Yeah, walk us through it, please. Walk (laughs) us, because you know people are going to be listening to this, don't know what the ins and outs are. Totally. I mean. The thing is,
0: this is something that I feel like I low key manifested because I said years ago, like, I want to be the first fat black person on the cover of Yoga Journal. Like, I just feel it. I would like for this to happen. And then when I got the call, I was like, yes, this is, I have arrived. This thing that I I always
1: wanted to happen is going to happen. I don't know what but I'm yoga something. I'm in. I'm, something. It. I I'm I am the this. moment I have arrived. Yes, <laughs> I have arrived.
0: And so like I remember the everything leading up to it was just like exact it was like oh I'm so excited the shoots great yeah. everyone that I worked with was so dope like oh this is so amazing. And then well let's just go to when I <laughs> the day that the magazine came out. I went to Barnes and Noble And I'm so excited. I went like early in the morning and I went to the periodical section and I was like looking through all the magazines and, and I was looking for yoga journal and I found yoga journal, but there was somebody else on the cover and I was like, oh, they must've forgotten to take out the January issues. I was going to say, what was was your first thought?
1: And was it, was it, this was last month's cover? Cause this month's cover is. Yeah, totally. Right right exactly
0: i was like maybe this is like they frequently do like special editions so i was right. like maybe this is a special edition cover and then i actually flipped it over too cuz i was like maybe they decided to do like a double cover but nobody told me that I, I wasn't on the back of it either so i was just like okay and it even it said february 2019 so i was like i looked through a few more magazines and i found my cover But I was like, oh, so they did a second cover as well with a teacher who has since passed Madia Zradi. Madhia Zradi is a teacher who has taught many people who have taught me. She started Yoga Works, which is a very prominent chain of yoga studios. And I was like, in some ways, in a different situation. Actually, in this situation, I was humbled to be in her company because she is someone who is had such a profound second hand influence on my own practice. But then there's this other part of me that was probably the much louder part that was like, what? <laughs> when, when was this decision made? So then I'm like on my in Gmail in Barnes and Noble, looking back through every email that I've had. Thinking,
1: like, did I miss it? Did I misunderstand? I was like, did I misunderstand?
0: I'm I'm emailing my manager. Like, did they talk to you about this? Like, what is going on? And she's like, no, I don't know about this. I don't know anything about this. So that was my first reaction. And then after I steadily reorganized the magazine so that mine was on the front and walked away from the periodical section, I then thought, oh, actually, this is just like when I was in high school, and I was one of five Black girls in my graduating class, and I auditioned for the lead in the musical, and even though I was the president of League Club and everyone liked me like, I'm not going to play this role. And like when I'm in college and this white guy has all of these, (laughs) I didn't feel like he worked as hard as I did, but yet he got the thing that I wanted. And, Mm. you know, it just reminded me of all these times that I've in my life where I've been felt like there were other forces at play Mm. as to whether or not something worked out or didn't work out. And I was just like, what made you think that that wasn't going to happen now? And also, why were you striving for the approval of white voices like this? That was the part that I really couldn't get over. And honestly, the part that I think continues to resonate for me as time goes away. That feeling that I had when I first got the call of like, I have arrived. How right. have you arrived? What has really happened? Right. Your, Where and have you arrived? Like, right. Right. Yeah. Are you super yogi now? Like, what is this? So right. is it like you wanted your whole life to sit at this table? Why did you want to sit at that table? What did mm. that mean? So it's pulling up all of these feelings and questions that, personally, I would have rather not had come up. And, <laughs> and been a big a public... Day. Thing right, like
1: a big public yeah. thing. <laughs> right. It right. would have
0: been better to have them privately, not <laughs> necessarily in front of other people. Right. So then that also led to so there was there was outrage from people who thought that I was going to be the only person on the cover, and they were upset with Yoga Journal. And then there was seemed like a secondary camp where people were like Yoga Journal is allowed to do whatever they want, and oh, okay. you know it was just so I'm watching this back and forth online where people are fighting about this cover. And I just didn't say anything because I'm dealing with all of these internal questions about it. And then I get, I have calls from yoga journal and they're like wanting to set up a meeting with me and the executives. I'm trying to remember what her exact title is, but basically main person in charge, they're trying to get me to have a sit down with her. And I was just like, I don't want to be a part of this, but I also, understand that there's a need to have some sort of resolution and so she and i ended up having a call where she's just like apologizing profusely and like we didn't mean for this to happen and but what did they mean to happen i asked this i was like i just don't know why we didn't discuss this before it came out i mean like we did the cover shoot in october the magazine didn't come out till the following winter so i don't really understand how in all that time we couldn't have an email exchange about this. But the main thing that really stood out for me is that she kept saying that she wanted for my cover to start conversations in the yoga world. And she felt like this situation had eclipsed the conversations that could have been had. And she (sighs) felt like the situation had eclipsed really. Oh no. this was the conversation i could have had that's exactly what i said i was like you all wanted to start conversations and you did it's not the conversation that you wanted to have but it's the conversation conversation you you needed to have that's That's right right. and and that yoga journal i mean one of the most prominent yoga uh, publications that they would be a part of that conversation. Again, not in the way that you wanted it to be. You wanted yeah. to have White Savior Complex. You wanted right. to have like we we're in charge of how this dialogue happens and, right. and really we're just patting ourselves on the back for for
1: because we put her on the cover, right? So that makes us exactly. one of the good ones where and then we're gonna exactly. micromanage right how we have this conversation. And it's like when they were doing that, like they were already coming with a history of already excluding and marginalizing people who look like us. So they couldn't just enter into this conversation without any sort of repercussions of what the historical context has been. And it makes complete sense that though it was at your expense, but it makes complete sense that the way that they rolled that out was very much in line with how they've been operating from day one. From day
0: one, 100%. I thought they were extremely on brand for them. That's right. Exactly, right. I was right. like, I mean, I don't know what your problem is, frankly. Like, it seems like- Isn't it, is it you're you like, isn't it? this you?
1: This <laughs> is how you roll.
0: <laughs> Which one wanted? And I mean, granted, like, I feel like there has, again, coming back to acceptance, it's like we need to accept that this is where we are if we're going to be anywhere different. Like if we're going to have this collective yoga experience where like this is the first time where people practice together in such large quantities and that we're actually talking to each other about our practices, it's like the first time in history that's ever happened, Mm. and there's a reason for that. Mm. And I think that like there's this desire – within the American yoga world specifically. And American yoga is something that, I mean, I think of it as this like very particular, like materialistic kind of monster that's like, it does its own thing. It's born of very specific values and Mm. American yoga has to reckon with those values. Like Mm. there's no way for us to, in the same way that, that all of the isms are lying just underneath every part of our society. They're underneath that too.
1: Yeah. And, and I would say it's, been, ex- it's it. been exported as well. I mean, absolutely. what I have practiced in studios here, though the teachers are not American, they're Arab, they're British, you know, they're from all over the world, but it feels like it's probably a very American type of yoga. It's um, American yoga, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think of American
0: yoga as being any yoga that, like, where the practice was really born from, like, if white practitioners are in any way, shape, or form in the lineage or infrastructure, that to me is American yoga, Right. and right. there's a beauty to it, but there are deep, dark complexities that I think just are not acknowledged and that are not anything to do with postures or whether or not exercise is important or how much meat you eat or, you know, how nice you are to anyone. It's about, it's these darker, more important layers of our identity that I just, I think for a long time, the yoga mainstream has wanted to avoid and wanted to ignore and we're getting to a place where it's just impossible to do that and I mean again like I'm just grateful I feel like this is way more interesting this feels like why we're all here together Mm -hmm. and it is uncomfortable and for me just as much as anyone else like again the part of that whole situation that I can't get past is how much i have sought the approval of white people throughout my life and all the different places that that shows up and that's my stuff to deal with i think that everyone has their bag everyone has like whatever they need to figure out and Mm. but it's it's not bad because it's unpleasant it's just it's there it's what it is and
1: it's important Thank you for sharing the experience, but also your own inner reckoning with what came up for you, the mirror that was held up for you to look at. Yes. Oh, okay. So I was, I was listening to an interview on Facebook and under Girl Trek, and they were interviewing Nikki Giovanni and Angela Davis. Mm-hmm. And Nikki Giovanni, it was amazing. I think it's still available to watch. I will be speaking about it. Yeah, it's really, really good. But Nikki Giovanni was being asked about, you know, last year was the first year that Black women held, like they were the top as the Miss World and Miss Universe and Miss, like there were three Mm -hmm. categories or so and they were all held by Black women. What do you think of that? And Mm. one of the things that I really love that she said is you're seeking approval from people who hate you. you. You're seeking to be told you're pretty from people who think you're ugly, who hate you. Exactly. Right. And that who was feel like, happy and proud of themselves for telling you that you're pretty. That's right. Yes. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that's part of our internalized oppression and having to reckon with, right? Like, oh, this is the ways that I have internalized white supremacy. This is the ways that I have exactly. seen myself as inferior, as lesser than. And if I can get onto that table, that proves that I am enough. And you get onto that table and you're like, I'm not supposed to be at this table. (laughs) Literally Literally looking around, like, is there anyone who looks like me at this table? (laughs) No one. Okay, there's the reason. And I still have to hate myself to sit here. Like, I can't, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) Because the moment I start loving myself, right? The moment I start really showing up, truly loving myself, I'm getting booted off of this table and
0: yeah
1: yeah it's not because there's just so many lessons
0: to be learned from all of it I think it's hard to see it until you're experiencing it and feeling it and then when you get there it's like shit I didn't mean to be here right and then it's like how could you even come to that realization without getting there like you had to have that experience and and I think that there's there's a lot of beauty to it. It's brutal, hard, disgusting medicine. And it's... It's so true. accurate. That's not- why we're here. <laughs> you know? I've it's never like, it heard sucks. it. It's, it's awful. So well. But it just, <laughs> it's just, that's the point of this experience. That's the right. point of the experiment.
1: That's right. Thank you. <laughs> the final <laughs> conversation I want to have with you, I could literally talk to you forever. This is an amazing conversation, but I would Please. be remiss to close our conversation without talking about body positivity. You have had your journey with the body positivity movement. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, from my research, what I can see, and, and actually from many Black women, Black femmes that I've talked to, it's a very similar journey. They have found initially validation Mm -hmm. and a sense of being seen and being able to be themselves. They find body positivity and then body positivity got colonized, appropriated, changed, Mm -hmm. appropriated so that it became to center people who didn't look like us and there is a breaking up <laughs> and a movement into something else.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What's that look it's, like for you? you know, everything awesome always gets gentrified and colonized. Like, Isn't it true? Breaks, always gets, <laughs> there's always somebody trying to own it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely came to body positivity through fat positivity and fat acceptance and, and to fat positive and fat activists they've been shading body positivity for years. Like they've just been like, it doesn't mean anything. Like it's too general. It's too vague. It's not radical. It's not, it's not about anything. And to me, body positivity has always meant you are okay today, exactly as you are that nothing about you needs to change. And that when you are able to find acceptance through that mental space, Mm -hmm. that there's a way to really live into yourself, really do everything you've ever wanted to do because you're accepting yourself. Mm. But I think the generalness of that message makes it very easy to co-opt and very easy for it to become about lifting up experiences that are not the heart of what has made what Strengthen body positivity in the past. Mm. And I've felt for a long time that labels are kind of the enemy and that really being so attached to words over action is creates long-term problems. So I've just been feeling like not really that connected to body positivity. even, And really that started to happen around the time that I started to be more attached to the movement publicly so that people are like, body positive yoga teacher, et cetera. And like, yeah, my classes have a body positive approach by definition, but yeah. I don't really think that like the movement itself doesn't feel like something that really has all that much to do with me in the end. And also expressing that without a lot of, I a lot of anger, because I think that. I do think that self-acceptance is really important and I don't think that everything always has to do with me. What annoys me is people feeling like not seeing themselves reflected in the movement so that there are people who are like, body positivity is about thin white women turning their bodies at certain angles so (laughs) So they can hold on to their fat roles (laughs) that are created.
1: Well, I I today decided to go search the hashtags BOPO and body positivity and that's, A lot of what I saw, it was maybe ninety-five percent white bodies, is what I saw, and a large number of bodies that were not fat, but that were slouching or twisting to, you know, or just a little Mm -hmm. pouch or something. I'm like, "Uh, I'm not sure that this is what the center of this movement is was supposed to be. Totally, yeah, and it's definitely
0: like it's seen as a way, I think the body positivity is kind of equated with like being nice and happy so that people say like, yeah, I'm BOPO or
1: I'm, and they're, it's like, they're saying something else in addition to that. Yeah. So yeah, that that's, whole that's conversation. True. And where does that come from? Cause I, yeah. thank you for putting that into words because is it because yeah. of the word positive? Is that where that comes from?
0: I think it is. And I think that people are very hungry to at least pretend to be happy because then that will make other people think that they're happy. And then if other people tell them that they are happy, then that's how they'll know that they are happy. Right. I think it has very little to do with influencing other people. I think it's about a cry, like desperately wanting for someone to tell you that you're okay. I mean, there are a lot of people who suffer from eating disorders. I get a lot of outreach from people who want for me to speak on eating disorders. And I'm like, I don't feel a deep connection to that. But the people who do feel a deep connection to that are thin white women who have been taught their whole life that they're not allowed to look a certain way or be a certain way. And there are values that I I consider to be particular to like, white patriarchal beauty that I don't think extend to the Black community, honestly. And that while I do think that there's a lot of fat phobia in the Black community, I don't think it exists the same way. So that I'm like, whatever, like, people want to rally behind something, I'm like, take body positivity, carry it off. I'm good on it, but Mm -hmm. I also don't want for other people who need that to not see themselves in it. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of the rub for that with me. But now what I'm noticing is people who have taken up the mantle of body positivity, but then decided that the concept of being positive toward your body is unrealistic. And so then they are rebranding body positivity as something else. So is this what I'm seeing more now neut- is like neutrality?
1: body neutrality. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I was going to say, it. I'm glad you brought this up because I wrote down this quote of yours from an interview you did on Greatest. And you were referring to body neutrality, and you said, in trying to accept every single part of myself, there can't be any neutrality. And that, that really struck a chord with me, because when I first heard the term body neutrality, it didn't resonate for me. It kind of felt like disconnect from my body. It kind of felt like exactly. I don't see myself as a body. And I'm like, well, I'm not just my body, but I have a body. And it feels strange for me to not be connected to it when it's everything that I feel and do. And I didn't get a sense of feeling empowered by the term. I actually just felt like I'm supposed to detach from my own self. Yeah. Exactly.
0: That's my general understanding of body neutrality is that essentially it's like, just don't think about your body at all. Just don't pretend it's not there. Essentially. Right. You be like... Like, yeah, I don't, I don't care about it. And so then I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to obsess over it. So I get it logically. Right. And I think it doesn't allow for our bodies to be these political entities, which right. they are in that there isn't a way that you can be neutral, no matter what your body looks like. There's no way to be neutral toward it, that every piece of you. And I'm talking about from like tall, white, Thin men who identify as Christians, who mm. can see themselves reflected in every part of society, their bodies are deeply political. That's like right. everyone is existing in something that has every piece of you. It is has important. meaning, and right. It doesn't mean that it's going to make you feel happy, though. And I don't even think that body positivity is asking that of anyone. It's just saying you're okay. Like you shouldn't have to feel as though there's anything wrong with you because you're okay. You don't have to feel happy about it. I think that, again, like this idea of being happy tortures us because it comes back to being good and doing right and being pure. Mm -hmm. And all of those ideas are so not the point of being alive because not every part of life is good or pretty or happy. A lot of life is complicated and dark and, and ugly and sad and that there is ultimately beauty in that and mm. that all of that is what love is. And I think that because we get hung up on not wanting to experience the bad parts of it or the seemingly negative parts that we don't get, it's like you don't get to have the whole flavor of it. so I think that ultimately it doesn't really matter like how you get to the party all that matters is that you get there so like I don't really care if people are like body positivity body neutrality body liberation whatever as long as we're having conversations about it that means that we're a step toward getting over it because the real problem is that we're so obsessed with our physical bodies when there is way more going on in this life than what's happening just with our physical bodies. So anything that can be done to ease up the tension on that, I'm here for it. I won't necessarily be having as a bumper sticker on my car, but
1: I'm here for it. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for that, Desmond. I appreciate that. And, and I appreciate you. Th- this conversation has just been everything. The thing is, you there's also so many more things that you do that I'm like, we could spend an entire another hour talking about that. You know, I've been reading um, or listening to your latest podcast on polyamory and the conversations mm. around cannabis, conversations around your body and spirituality. Like, there's so many things that you do and they're so amazing. And so I just want to say thank you. I really want to encourage everyone listening to go check out your work because there's just so much. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you
0: so much. I'm really humbled by that. And I think I'm always just trying to show what a real yoga practice looks like. And a yoga practice is, complicated with lots of different shades and sexuality is a part of that and self-care is a part of that for me cannabis is a part of that self-care you know talking about the parts that feel unpleasant talking about the different shades of my identity I think it's it's all just me trying to live my practice and I'm I'm grateful to be able to live that practice in community with others and really grateful to be in community with you as
1: oh, well thank so you thank you all right, our closing question, Jasmine. What does it mean to you to be a good ancestor?
0: To me, to be a good ancestor is to see that this life is like a relay race and I'm picking up the baton from those who came before me and I'm just running with that baton for as long as I can. Mm-hmm. And the more freely I run, The more space I offer to others to be able to run, the better it is for everyone. And I think that it just means like standing in the truth, even when the truth is unpleasant, and really being open to all of the lessons that life offers. And understanding that my legacy is not really in my control Mm -hmm. and there's not much that I can do in terms of how other people will experience me but all I can do is just show up in my truth and that's how I can inspire other people to do the same thing it's
1: beautiful thank you so much Jessamine. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me in this beautiful
0: space. I feel (laughs) so healthy. Oh, good. All right.
1: Thank you. This is Leila Saad, and you've been listening to Good Ancestor Podcast. I hope this episode has helped you find deeper answers on what being a good ancestor means to you. We'd love to have you join the Good Ancestor Podcast family over on Patreon, where subscribers get early access to new episodes patron-only content and discussions, and special bonuses. Join us now at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being a good ancestor.